Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch Podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, Political Outreach Director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we will take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. On today's show, I'll be joined with Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, for the Session Shakedown segment. I sit down with Senator Becca White for our deep dive conversation about both the Affordable Heat Act and ranked choice voting. Later, I'll speak with Representative Sadia Lamont about her experience as a woman of color serving in the legislature, the weight of representing multiple identities, and the advice she would give to someone considering running for office. But first, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media too. On Twitter, we are at VoteGreenVT, Instagram at VT Conservation Voters, and you can find us on Facebook as well. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting VermontConservationVoters.org. Have an idea for a story or want to provide feedback? Email me at jmarsh at vermontconservationvoters.org. Now I'm joined by Lauren Hurl for our session shakedown segment where we recap the week prior and look to this coming week of the session. This week was all about the Affordable Heat Act. You spoke with Senator Andy Perchlick for the Climate Dispatch video segment, and I spoke with Senator Rebecca White about that for our deep dive conversation, which is coming up in just a moment. So we won't spoil it for you yet, but the committee voted it out on Friday. So it's likely off to the appropriations committee. Uh, You gave testimony last week on the bottle bill. How are things shaping up for that bill? Yeah, the House Environment and Energy Committee is looking at the bill to expand and modernize the bottle bill. And it seems like it's on track to hopefully move soon. I think they're just working through, you know, the usual kinds of issues, making sure the bill is going to accomplish the goals that we want, expanding recycling, improving recycling quality, uh, reducing litter and all those good things. So they're just doing the due diligence now, and hopefully we'll see movement on that soon. Yes, and also in the Environment and Energy Committee, the 30 by 30 bill continues to be worked on. Uh, is there is there movement there? Not yet. Uh, similarly, it seems like they're getting down to a final list of questions. There was specific language proposed by the administration this week. So um, again, hoping to see movement soon. I think they're down to a handful of issues that the committee is going to figure out, you know, make some decisions on and move. And then there's housing. Uh, what's the latest? Yeah, so the Senate Economic Development Committee continues to work on that bill, and we are anticipating a vote on that soon. And that bill really looks at how we encourage more uh, dense housing, housing in our downtown and village centers, and has a range of policies that will really foster good smart growth development. Um, There's some provisions that the Senate Natural Resources and Energy Committee will be looking at related to land use um, that we will probably be raising some flags about, um, but we're anticipating that package will continue to move quickly, knowing housing is a huge priority of the legislature and of Vermonters. 
All right, let's now move to my conversation with Senator White, where we discuss the Affordable Heat Act and ranked choice voting. I am here with Senator Rebecca White. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Justin. So for those who don't know, senators serve on two committees, and you have the distinction of serving on the Committee on Natural Resources and the Committee on Government Operations. And luckily for us, we can talk to you about two of our many important issues today. Um, So we're recording this on Thursday, February 16th, and the Affordable Heat Act has been the centerpiece for many conversations of the Climate Solutions Caucus, which you co-chair, and of course in committee and kind of across the state and state house. Uh, Why is this act so important for Vermonters? Yeah, so the Affordable Heat Act, S5, you're exactly right. It's been the focus of Senate Natural Resources and Energy for the last few weeks. And the reason that I'm so passionate about this piece of legislation is because it's an opportunity for Vermonters to, by design, transition away from fossil fuels. And the reason I use the word design is because we will transition off fossil fuels by disaster if we do not do it by design. Uh, What the clean heat standard inside the Affordable Heat Act does is it creates performance standards for our fuel dealers so that they have to support and they have to support the transition of their customers away from fossil fuels. And that could be done through incentivizing weatherization, cold climate heat pumps, modern wood heating, biofuels, all of the strategies that we have been recommended to us um, uh, by the uh, Climate uh, Council when they came up with the Climate Action Plan. The Climate Action Plan actually calls out a performance standard in our thermal sector as their number one priority. Uh, And that's because our thermal sector accounts for our second largest amount of carbon emissions as a state. So for me, when I think about the Affordable Heat Act, uh, it builds off of the great work of the Clean Heat Standard Bill of last session while taking a firm stance on supporting low and moderate income Vermonters. So the change with the title is not symbolic. It really is because we've addressed uh, longstanding concerns about how to pull up uh, the most vulnerable Vermonters into our transition away from fossil fuels. Awesome. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the conversations that have occurred in committee around uh, tomorrow's planned vote on the Affordable Heat Act. Yes. So uh, I've been familiar with a clean heat standard for the last two years. Uh, And now uh, in the Senate, we have spent the whole part of the session familiarizing ourselves with S5. So we've been taking testimony from witnesses from all across Uh, the spectrum of completely disagree with it to completely support it, who will be impacted. So over the last few weeks, we've been building up our understanding of what the bill will do if passed. uh, And we are coming very close to a vote uh, to uh, move that bill out of Senate Natural Resources. I'm hoping we do vote tomorrow because this is just the first of a whole process of uh, different votes and considerations on the bill. 
Yeah, and so for folks at home who may not be as aware of the legislative process, what is the journey after it leaves your committee? Where does it go next? How does a bill become a law? Yeah, exactly. Do you want yeah. to sing, sing the song? <laughs> yeah, da, 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 <laughs> little school of rock. Um, so because there is an appropriation in the bill, once it, finger crossed, is passed out of Senate Natural Resources and Energy, it will go to appropriations and they will review the bill. There may be changes. Um, they'll put their appropriation stamp on it if that's what they so choose to do. Uh, ideally, once passed out of appropriations, it may have another stop in another committee of jurisdiction. Not sure yet. Um, but at the very least, it will go to appropriations and then it'll go to the Senate floor. And when it comes to the Senate floor, we'll have a vote on the bill. We may see amendments. We may see um, questions uh, as folks start to understand the implications of it. And then fingers crossed, again, once it's passed out of the Senate, it will go to the House where they will decide where it is jurisdictionally uh, relevant. I think that's likely to be their Natural Resources Committee. That's my guess. Um, and then same process. They'll review it. They'll send it to their money committees that are relevant and then take it to the floor. And then it goes to the governor's desk. And then if there is an override, we'll be back here again having this whole conversation. <laughs> Such a journey. Um, so switching gears over to your afternoon committee, government operations. Mm -hmm. We're very excited that ranked choice voting has been taken up in your committee. Tell us a little bit more about ranked choice voting, the parameters of this bill specifically, and why it's a priority uh, for the committee this year. Yeah, so ranked choice voting was totally new to me um, before uh, this last session. Uh, and it gives a, uh, a number you can vote uh, on your ballot uh, for a candidate uh, by ranking them by order of who you would like the most. So uh, simply put, when you show up uh, at the ballot box, you might love candidate A, kind of like candidate B, kind of like candidate C, but hate candidate B. <laughs> so you would rank them in order of who you like the most, and then the candidate that gets the most votes out of that uh, wins. Uh, if there is not a majority of votes, it then goes to a second round and a third round and so on and so forth until there is a plurality, in my understanding of the bill, of uh, winning votes. The reason this bill is important to me and to our committee is because what we've seen in other jurisdictions that do ranked choice voting is uh, less contentious races because it's not candidate A versus candidate B. It's candidate A trying to convince potentially candidate B's folks to give them their vote as well and vice versa. So you see less uh, vitriolic campaigning because you are actually trying to form a coalition potentially in a way that you don't have with uh, first past the post voting. Um, in addition to that, you see candidates who are more likely to be a part of a marginalized community being able to run for office and exploring the possibility of running for office because it's often told of candidates who are women, people of color, LGBTQIA+, that if you run, you will be taking away votes from the more moderate candidate. And you taking away votes from the more moderate candidate means, or other candidate, whatever minority you might be a part of, 
you will be pulling away from the candidate who is in the center. So if you do that, you are going to get the more extremist candidate elected. So don't run, don't do it. Uh, that's a problem because it doesn't accurately reflect our democracy. Uh, so for me, it's a twofold uh, reason for why it's important. It makes less contentious uh, political debates, and it also is more of a representative way to get uh, Vermonters who, um, or presidential candidates as we have in the bill, um, out and running for office and having a, a real shot. Um, the bill itself is only for the presidential primary, so a key reason that we're looking at uh, the presidential primary and that ballot uh, is because we know that at a certain point in a presidential primary, folks will drop out. <laughs> so if you've only voted for one person, your vote doesn't matter if that person drops out. So I know for me, uh, a candidate who I care about dropping out of a race, I probably would have voted uh, for a different candidate. Uh, so at least in a ranked choice voting system for our presidential primary, voters can have another pass. It's not a, a zombie vote, as we've heard in testimony. Um, you actually get a voice in a candidate who is still in the running. And ranked choice voting is already implemented in cities and states across the country, including our own Burlington and in Maine and Alaska. Have you heard testimony from officials in those places and, and what did they have to say? Yeah, we've heard from the town clerk in Burlington. Uh, we also heard from the secretary of state in Maine. Uh, and what surprised me about her testimony was that the ranked choice voting move was very grassroots in Maine. It was brought forward by a referendum, uh, something that we don't have in Vermont, but was fought against by the administration. So with almost no support uh, by the administration in Maine, they were able to roll out ranked choice voting. And her biggest concerns with ranked choice voting were that they didn't get proper support to do it. Uh, so even with lack of support, they were able to put forward a ranked choice ballot vote pretty seamlessly. Uh, what I appreciated most between Maine and Vermont is that they also have a very similar structure with town clerks. They have hand counted ballots. And it was clear that that uh, obstacle uh, was not so great that they couldn't also um, move it forward. So even in another rural state, with no support, they were able to roll it out and saw um, that voters understood their ballots and voted uh, appropriately. Awesome. Are you taking any more testimony or is it going to be committee conversations? What's the next Ooh, move? Do I, you know? I think we will be taking more testimony, but we've heard from a lot of relevant sources um, and I know the committee will be uh, discussing it further. Great. Well, thank you for being back on the podcast. And uh, if folks have not listened to episode five, I implore you to go back and check it out. I speak with Senator White and two other legislators about their experience serving in the state house in their 20s. And thank you, Senator White, for uh, taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Justin.
Sadia Lamont of Morristown is an organizer, advocate, facilitator, trainer, mother, and racial equity transformative justice consultant. She believes mutual understanding, communal healing, and collective wellness are the foundations for seeing each other's humanity and creating social change. She represents the Morristown, Elmore, Woodbury, Worcester, and a portion of Stoke communities in the Moyle and Washington counties. Her goal, both as a human and as a representative, is to uplift all people and uplift she certainly does. Welcome, Sadia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So we are approaching our eighth week of the biennium, and as a freshman legislator, how are you holding up? Real talk, how has the experience been for you? Ebbs and flows, right? Highs and lows. It's like good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, ups and downs. Just when I think I've got a hold on things, woo, in comes the next wave. So, <laughs> so it's, um, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Um, it's different than what I anticipated. And that was a challenge for me. Um, I had to make peace with what I thought it would be like and what I thought our governing system functioned like and the reality of what is. I had to really connect the two within my heart, mind, and spirit and figure out how can I still show up every day and do this in meaningful ways. And that's what I've been doing for the past eight weeks, right? Just remembering why I'm here. Every day I remember my why. Yeah. So what's one, what is one key difference? I'm so curious, like of what you, what you expected. Cause I think that's, I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, They have this idea of kind of what being a representative or Senator is like. And then in, at least I'm speaking from my own experience, having now been, a witness to how the state house functions and, and the, the, the intricate in, in and outs of, of legislating. Um, it is a little different, but I'm curious for you, what, what is the, what was in your mind and what, what's the reality What's one key difference? Yeah. Um, I, I knew things move slowly in the legislature. I knew that coming in. Um, and I knew, you know, that it takes it takes a majority vote, right? It takes it takes building relationships and all of these things, so to speak. And so for me, the difference is the policy in which we create every biennium. You know, we're elected for two years, so we have we have two years. To, to work on whatever it is we're going to work on, and then hopefully we get reelected and can continue the work, yes? And um, and it starts fresh, every biennium, right? And because the bills from the previous <laughs> biennium have died, and now we're back to the starting point. And I didn't realize uh, how much recycled effort it was, how much recycled language it was. Um, And so for me, I, I anticipated that with so many new folks, so many new voices and new perspectives, different variety, you know, so many different backgrounds, such a diverse perspective. 
I really expected and anticipated to hear different language um, in the policy that we are putting forth. Um, and it's not. And that's hard because, you know, it's a lot of, well, this is how it's done. And this is the language we have to use. And these are the words that we have to say. And the words that we have to say and the language that we have to use doesn't convey to the people of whom we're trying to serve. And so that's the disconnect for me is that if we here are being elected by the people as policymakers to serve the people, one, why are we not using language that they can understand and that makes sense to them and that isn't transparent in what it means and what we're trying to say? So when we are writing bills and policy and we're saying, this is what we mean, it is understandable to everyone what that means, right? We don't have to go and look up statutes. shouldn't. I mean, we have to look up statutes to find out what words mean. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, wait. So in this instant, it means this. So you have to look up this statute. And in this instance, the same word means something completely different. So you have to look up the entirely different statute. And our community members don't know that, right? And so the difference for me was I was really hoping that the diverse voices and all the new people would be like, let's legislate in a different way but it's the same old. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of it too is, you know, I think with, I'm not exactly sure, but my, with, in the current, uh, with our current governor vetoing so much, a lot of the bills are getting recycled, right? Cause you're up against a clock essentially. And if, if things don't go through within those two years, plus we're obviously a part-time legislature as well. So if, if things don't, pan out in those two years, you're back to square one. And so you are kind of just taking the same stuff, adding in some new flavor here and there, spicing it up and then trying it again, you know? So it's like, it can be, it is so slow. And yeah, and you're right. It's, you know, we're, you're lawmakers. So you are, it is complicated. And the fact that, you know, the language is really important and the definitions of, of the language are, are super important and, and I keep hearing this word nuanced. That's like the hot top, the hot word, but it is, it's so true, right? These are complicated things that you're, um, that you're leading. Um, and speaking of policy, so you were placed on the house committee on general and housing, which includes of course, housing, but also labor equity and inclusion, as well as sort of everything else that doesn't perfectly fit into any other category. So housing seems to be a really hot topic across the state, but also particularly in two of the towns that you represent, Morristown and Stowe. How are you seeing your district's needs play out in some of the policies that your committee is taking on? So real talk, we haven't really taken on any housing things yet. Um, we spent a lot of time working on H66, paid family medical leave, which we only just passed out of committee on Thursday um, before taking housing testimony on Thursday evening, um, which again, I was surprised to see so many providers um, 
giving testimony when there, you know, it was sort of a lot of the similar voices that we hear during committee testimonies. And I was really hoping that it would be more community members, but that's okay. Um, um, and so, yeah, we, we haven't really gotten into that this week. We're diving into it. I am on a housing work group with some folks from human services. So, um, Rep Small and Rep McGill, um, and um, and two other representatives from my committee. So um, Rep Burrows and Rep uh, Chestnut Tangerman, and we are on a housing working group, and we are working on addressing some of the issues. the The drafts that have been put forth. Um, somewhat address the issues in my community, but not per se. There, I will say the community has been doing a great job of taking care of itself. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, I would like to commend the community partners who have been coming together and doing such great work um, for the past several years. And, you know, there, we have a local housing working group that's been working for years um, that is, you know, headed up by Emily Rosenbaum, who is the, you know, executive director of the Working Community Challenge Grant under United Way of Lamoille County. And, um, and then there's a short-term rental group that, you know, is there. And then I only just found out um, Friday about the new 21 bed shelter going in because I've been so head in the clouds in Montpelier I've been somewhat far removed from the Lamoille County stuff. I haven't been able, I attend my board meetings still, but I haven't been able to attend my housing group meetings because I'm in committee at that time during the day. Um, and our core partner meetings, you know, I'm in committee or on the floor. And so it's sad. It, it sort of breaks my heart to be for so far removed from the community. But um, meeting with folks, um, you know, ha catching up with folks here and there and, and asking them, Hey, what's going on? Um, is it's that's been helpful, and so I'm trying to do more of that because that's the way I'm going to be able to stay connected. Um, because I don't really have a lot of free time to go back myself and look up all the things. Um, but yeah, so this week is going to get exciting. This week we're diving into housing, uh, our housing bill in general and housing committee. So. I'm looking forward to see how that conversation goes because the Fade Family Medical Leave conversation went, um, I wouldn't say smoothly, but it was a, it was it was good. It was a good dialogue. It was a good effort, um, and it was a nine three vote out of the committee. So I'm curious to see how the housing conversation goes. Yeah, a lot of the housing. Uh, conversations so far have been held in the Senate with uh, Keisha Hinsdale's committee. But um, so, of course, it's expected then that, you know, the second half of the biennium will probably be very, very focused on housing for you all. Um, you are one of several people of color serving in the state legislature this biennium, making up about 5% of the body. Uh, according to 2020 census data, Vermont's population 
is 90% white and white alone, uh, suggesting that the legislature's makeup has a bit of a way to go to being representative of all Vermonters. You also possess multiple identities. In a recent interview with the News and Citizen, you said, quote, if there's a box, I can check it. The only thing I'm not is a cisgender white man or woman, unquote. Do you feel a weight of burden being representative of so many communities who are often left out or seen as on the outside of our cis, hetero, socio, normative, etc. societies? I do. Do I feel the weight of representing those folks? Absolutely. I, I, I feel that representation in my existence in that building. Right. And so it's so it's so evident in my existence um, that the folks who are so often overlooked um, and how that happens, you know, Um, and so it's it doesn't feel like a burden per se, but I definitely definitely feel the gravity of it because it is heavy. And, and it's really important to me that no one gets left behind or forgotten, right? People are not disposable. And when we are passing legislature, we need to, legislation, we need to make sure that we are representing all folks. And as a person with such lived experience and fitting so many identities, I know what that feels like. I, don't, I may not know their exact experience, but I have an idea and I can empathize and realize that a little bit more. And I try to really translate that into the conversations that I have in the state house and in committee with folks. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like so many, so many people would have, you're, you're the one, you know, you're the one person or one of a couple people who, who are like them. And um, when they look at the entire body and they say, okay, so who, who there is differently abled, you know, it's you, you know, <laughs> you know, who's a, who is a, a person of color, it's going to be you, you know, so it's, it's a, it's, it's very, it's, I can imagine it, it's a lot to hold all of that, and that, that it is heavy. So which kind of like leads me to the next question, which is, is this a sustaining role? And if not, what needs to be done to make it so that it can be? That is a good question. And I will tell you, is in its in its own standing a sustaining role not for this is a very ableist role i will say that this job is very very ableist and um the reality of it is and it's not that i can't do it right so i just want to be clear because people think that oh well if you can't if you can't you know if you can't walk around or get around or do the things, then then you shouldn't do that. Why? That, uh, that takes away nothing from the knowledge, the experience, the wisdom that I have to be able to, and skill set to be able to serve and put forth good policy, right? The system is what's ableist, right? That doesn't diminish my skill and ability. And so... In that, it's not sustainable. It And I have to be real with people because, you know, I've been getting reach out from some folks and, you know, and they're like, oh, well, we haven't seen from you, you know, in our in the front porch forum. I'm like, let's be clear. You didn't hear from me in front porch forum during the campaign either. 
<laughs> like, let's just, like, let's just be honest. That is very on brand and very consistent. Okay. Like social media and, you know, is generally where it is. I will say I haven't been in the newspaper as much, which I I'm working on. Um, but the reality is I had a team of over 60 volunteers that helped me get here. I didn't get here by myself. We don't have staff. We don't have help. I am fortunate enough and privileged enough to have two interns. And well, one and one and a half because one is just getting started. So it's sort of like we're not quite there yet to be in function in function mode. <laughs> but um, but you know, I'm fortunate enough that people want to work with me and they see me and they want to help. And so I have the position to have to have these interns to help, but it's not enough. We need staff. The amount of hours we put in, it's unrealistic, you know? And I don't know how folks make time for their families or their personal lives or fun things um, <laughs> or or wellness things um, or, you know, or rest um, because there's just so many things in a day at any given time of day, there's at least three places I'm supposed to be at one time at any given moment. <laughs> and so, you know, and so it's, it's just, it's so curious to me how people survive in this, in this way. And it's just like, I get it. It's the machine. And that's what it is. And it's the system. And these are people. Representatives and senators are people. Human beings that need to eat and sleep and bathe and use the bathroom and have human experiences that just go like machines with no sleep and no rest. And for minimal wage. <laughs> Right. So it's not a sustainable position. Doesn't deter me from doing it. Um, I'm here and I'm showing up and I will continue to show up, you know, in all the ways. I'm just saying I'm going to say what it is and call what it is. And I'm going to show up how I can in ways that are meaningful and healthy for me so that it's sustainable for me. With that, what advice would you give to someone who's eyeing? You know, you just sort of laid out something that doesn't sound very pleasurable or like a great experience. So uh, if someone was eyeing running for office, what would you say to them? Would you encourage it? Would you deter it? I love being there. Please, let's, let us not be dismayed, okay? It's not that I don't want to <laughs> be here or don't want to be or don't enjoy being here. I love being here, okay? Like... It's, it's awesome. My thing is, I want people to, to have a real understanding of what it is, right? I'm saying, yes, do it. But it has to be what you want to do. Because this is my purpose in life, this was my calling, right? My spirit was called to this. I don't go where my spirit doesn't lead me. And so if I weren't called to be here, I wouldn't be here. So if you want to be here, then yes, run, 
learn, build up your strength and endurance. <laughs> right. But yeah. um, and, and, build, and build your support team, because honestly, the only reason why this is challenging for me is because of my my, you know, my different my different abilities. Right. My lack of natural resources and supports. You know, I don't have family here. My friend circle is limited and distant. Right. And everyone has their own lives and they are busy and doing their things. And so that is the only reason why it's challenging for me. If you've got a team, you've got support, you've got family and, and ability, ability is a big one, um, I would say do it. I'm here, and I, I mean, I'm going to be here as long as people keep voting me in, but I'm also going to keep it real, you know? <laughs> I'm going to be here until the people tell me they don't want me. And that's what I love about you, Sadia. Um, you keep it real, and that's I think that's so important. So much of... Um, so much of what I see from politicians, even locally, is sort of this facade that they put on that everything is great and lovely. And it's not always great. And it's not always lovely. And so I think being able to have those, being able to convey that and to just be able to, to be real with people is, is I think, a, a major skill to actually being a community leader. Yeah, I, you know, I want people to come, I want people to run, I want people to serve. And I want them to to know. I don't want them to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Because I kind of feel like that's what happened with me. I feel like I took a lot of trainings. I took, you know, I took a lot of trainings. I did a lot of classes, a lot of workshops to learn how to get here. And I still feel like I'm not prepared to be here. <laughs> right? And so I want people to be as prepared as they can because knowledge is power. And so it's not don't do it. It's arm yourself and be ready. Be ready for the reality of what it is. Because I love getting dressed up and showing up to my office every day, right? You know, <laughs> you know. everyone's like, do you have an office? I'm like, no, I have a desk. But, <laughs> but then it's also, it's funny to like jokingly be like, yeah, my office is in the state house. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, I love, I love being there, but for me, I'm going to love it even more when I see the influence of policy impacting the people I serve. That's when it's going to be happy and exciting for me. I'm too much in the weeds right now for it to be that because I'm in the I want to make change. I want the people to have what they need, right? How can we create policy that meets the need? And so for me and my caring heart, right? And my human heart, that's what people hear. And I don't want people to like, not everyone is there, right? And I think that's the difference between myself and a lot of the folks in the state house. Like I am literally there with my whole entire being. I am there with my heart. I am there with my spirit. I am there with my mind. My whole body is in that building. And I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I just feel like some folks who are high functioning and very professional and very, you know, by the book are very cerebral. They function from here up you know, and 
I don't, I haven't found that ability to disconnect yet. I'm sure I will grow into that as I come. I don't want to lose it all. I can't lose my heart for the people ever, right? Um, the day I stop, the day I lose my heart for the people is the day I don't need to serve anymore, right? For me. Yeah. <laughs> for me. <laughs> But in the same time, I also need to understand and learn how to not take it all so personally. And I don't know how to do that because I'm a very empathetic being. And so it sounds doom and gloom, but I don't want people to be dismayed because it's just I'm an empath and I feel everything on a very visceral level. I feel very deeply. I love very deeply. I give very deeply and I lead very deeply. So what, lastly, what keeps you going then? Uh, What's currently feeding your soul? This is where it gets gooey. Because as I just said, you know, I don't have a lot of the things that other people have, the natural resources, you know. And so for me, that's why it's challenging. I'm because I'm I'm functioning from a place I don't normally usually function from. Um, I was expecting rest um, in between serving and campaigning. I didn't get that, and um, and so I'm I'm running on on fumes. I ran I ran my whole campaign on air and adrenaline. <laughs> And and now I'm I'm now I'm running on the fumes that they left behind. And so for me, what keeps me going is knowing that like I just need to be let me be honest for a minute. Like this is surreal for me. Okay? Like every day I'm in that building, I can't believe I'm in that building. I fangirl myself when I'm like Oh my God, my name is on the wall. Oh, my name is on that machine. It's like, it is so surreal because, you know, <laughs> I'm of the people, okay, in, in all of the senses. And so it's just like, it's very surreal to be there, but I'm very grateful and I'm very appreciative and I'm very honored. And so what keeps me going is knowing that I am building a legacy for myself. I am building a legacy for my children. I am changing history as only the third black woman to serve. And, you know, like it is, that's what keeps me going. Knowing that, knowing that it's above me. It's not for, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my people. The, to the contrary, that's where I need to be weary, right? Because although I am here for my constituents and the people whom I serve, I am the vessel and the body that has to be here. And therefore I need to be well and rested to serve adequately. And so finding that balance is my journey. And I just keep trying every day. And I just, one day at a time, it's, it's a, you know, 
it's a journey. It's a journey, and I'm grateful and blessed and honored and privileged that the people of the Lamoille Washington District felt that I would be the best person to be here to serve them. And so I get up every day and do my best to do that. Well, Sadia, thank you for taking time out of your weekend. and All this talk about rest, and, and yet you agreed on a Sunday afternoon to chat with me and take time out of your day. So I really appreciate it. And I really thank you for representing my home county. It means so much to me, honestly. And it's always a joy when I get to see you and your smiling face around the state house. And I can't wait to see you this week. Thank you so much. So grateful. Now it's time for our climate stat of the week. 76%. That is the amount of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in Vermont that live in nature-deprived census tracts, according to Center for American Progress. BIPOC and low-income families are far more likely than white families to live in a place that is deprived of the benefits that nature provides, including nearby places that allow them to get outside safely and access clean water, clean air, and a diversity of wildlife. A census tract is deemed as nature-deprived by conservation science partners if it has a higher proportion of natural area lost to human activity, including urban sprawl. I want to thank our guests, Representative Sadia Lamont and Senator Rebecca White, as well as Lauren Hurl for assisting me. We will be back on Monday for the next episode of the Democracy Dispatch Podcast. Thanks for listening.